Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who's in a hot, sticky, sweaty Burlington in southern Ontario. Today we are joined by Matthew Green, MP, from the riding of Hamilton Centre of the New Democratic Party. Matt Genero, who's also a Member of Parliament from the riding of Edmonton Riverbend. He represents the Conservative Party. We have Nadine Nakagawa. She's a city councillor in the city of New Westminster in British Columbia. We have Amina Yazin, who is a city and regional planner who sits on the Vancouver City Planning Commission. We have Ariel Carabaga, who is a city councillor from London, Ontario. Now, she won the Liberal Party's nomination to run in the riding of London West. We also have Alex Bishop, who helps companies access grants, investments, and um, gives them kind of access to the government. He's a political pundit of some uh, of some uh, renowned. And finally, we have Alan Mankiewicz, who's a disability rights activist from Manitoba. On the day when numerous Americans and Afghans have been reportedly killed by two explosions outside Kabul Airport, we take a pause to regret their loss. And we also ask, what are the major themes of Canada's snap election? This is a really important moment in Canada's history. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on Sunday called an early election for September 20th, saying he needed a new mandate to ensure voters approved of his Liberal government's plan to recover from the health crisis. As Canadians know, this is a moment where we're going to be taking decisions that will last not just for the coming months, but for the coming decades. And Canadians deserve their say. That's exactly what we're going to give them. 
Trudeau is betting that high vaccination rates and an economic rebound will help him prolong and strengthen his position as prime minister. Newly released data shows 71 percent of the country's eligible population is fully vaccinated. Trudeau spoke after visiting Governor General Mary Simon, the representative of head of state Queen Elizabeth, to formally request the dissolution of parliament. Polls suggest the Liberals will win their third consecutive election, but may not regain a majority in the House of Commons. Trudeau currently has only a minority of seats, leaving him reliant on other parties to govern. The Conservatives and New Democrats have in recent days condemned the idea of an early election, saying there was no need for it and describing Trudeau's call as a power grab. First off, this is for the Canadians on stage. And Matt, because uh, I know your time is short, we're going to start with you. You're a sitting MP. What do you think the um, the overriding issues of this election are going to be? This is your hot take, so please be brief. Thanks, Rafield and uh, and Alex for, for making this happen. Hot takes, I think he kind of hit it in a bit of the introduction there with this uh, this being a snap election, I think. Ultimately, on the, the date that it was was called, we is when we started hearing uh, some of the news out of Afghanistan as well. So I can certainly tell you at the doors, we've been hearing a lot about an unnecessary election in a, a very crucial international time. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a, a partisan comment that people are saying. It's it's certainly certainly our, our thoughts and and minds and hearts are, are elsewhere uh, right now. But uh, but we're going full steam ahead, and I guess everybody across the country is is running and we'll ultimately see on September 20th uh, which party uh, uh, takes office. Alex, what's your hot take? What do you think the overriding issues are going to be and should be in this election? Yeah, I, th- I think the fact is that the Trudeau would say that the polling is in his favour and, and I think it would be fair to say that he's making the election based on that gamble. I, I think there's issues of security that are coming up, especially because of what's happening in Afghanistan. I think there's issues around uh, that have been pointed out by the media and talking about the Conservative Party being divided. Um, there's issues around the NDP party being divided. There's issues around the, the Liberal Party being divided. So I think what I'm hearing in terms of what what are the issues is what issues and maybe Matt, you can you can answer this. What are the issues that you think can unite us? What are the issues that you think are universal? That you're hearing at the door. So the things I'm hearing are, are ones around mental health, around housing, and around um, ec- economics. Before Matt answers that, one minute, Matt, let's just go through all the Canadians on stage. Let's do the hot takes and then we'll enter into uh, the discussion. Um, Alan, uh, what should be, what are going to be uh, the, the key issues in this campaign? Uh, from my perspective, I think we saw during the pandemic that Disabled folks were essentially ignored. Uh, they were sitting ducks in um, for-profit care homes. They disproportionately died compared to the rest of the population. So I think we need some atonement for that and some policy change. And it'll be interesting to see what happens if the Liberals get re- re-elected, what they do with the Canada disability benefit they've proposed, and if it was just a cynical ploy to get votes or if they'll actually follow through and do something. I do want to ask you about that bill, uh, which, which was introduced in, in the last uh, last parliament. But uh, let's move on for now. Nadine, uh, what are going to be the key um, election points uh, between now and September the 20th? 
Um, a livable planet is number one, um, the climate crisis and the corresponding equity issues. The housing crisis is still raging in BC as long as well as in a poison drug supply crisis. So, um, but overall, uh, healthcare is always a big election issue. And we've seen the need for a national pharmacare strategy. We've seen the need for a national mental health strategy, especially under COVID. Um, and also, you know, the straight state sanctioned, um, and supported killing of Indigenous children in residential schools. Um, the Kamloops, um, First Nation is here in BC. Uh, we have the, the Squamish First Nation, um, doing, um, the, the penetrating radar to find the, the discovery of graves there. I think we have to continue to talk about reconciliation and Indigenous sovereignty as well. And lastly, Amina, uh, what is your hot take on the key election issue that Canada is facing? Sure. So I think a lot of um, really key issues have been brought up. First, I definitely don't think that um, the climate of apathy and fear, which seem to be the two principal characteristics, you know, that are propelling a mentally exhausted, exhausted population to the polls, um, indicates the best possible time for us to be you know, having a snap election, to be perfectly honest. Um, but as Nadine already articulated, um, we've seen where the federal government has uh, deployed child care as a major issue, um, <clears throat> working quite closely with um, provinces in order to see that as a primary election issue, uh, Indigenous rights and reconciliation and redress is a major issue, especially considering um, the fact that I am in uh, British Columbia as well. Uh, on the land of the Coast Salish people, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and uh, Kakat. And um, as Nadine mentioned, um, the uh, uh, unmarked graves that have been discovered here of of children is definitely um, uh, going to continue to be uh, an issue. Uh, Disability justice and affordable housing, as well as the opioid crisis um, and wireless broadband across rural communities. So quite a few issues there. Thank you for that, Amina. So we've had like a, a real good sweep of some of the key election issues that uh, Canada is grappling with uh, as it decides um, who its next prime minister is going to be. I want to come to you, Matt. Um, the polls have somewhat tightened. Um, we we all know that Trudeau called this election because he was doing relatively well in the polls and he has a minority government. Why do you think that your Conservative Party under its new leader, Erin uh, O'Toole, has actually been able to tighten those polls? What has been the key uh, kind of Conservative message which seems to be resonating with the Canadian people? Yeah, um, Murphy, I'll also try to answer Alex's question in some of this uh, as well. I think I think some of the uh, the, the people on stage have, have hit on, on what are some good points in terms of, of uniting us, the, you know, the, the, the housing crisis, uh, climate issue being, being key. Um, I think probably the, the biggest one, though, and, and can tie back around to your question, uh, Rofield, is, is the, the, the health crisis that we're, we're facing right now uh, through COVID. I think there's, there's a fair bit of, of division out there on how best to handle, the, whether it be the the health and, uh, and Canadians, or the or and or the uh, the economic uh, future of Canada, and I think that's that's ultimately where where I believe we've had some success over the last. Sorry, I'm in my campaign office, so it's a bit loud. Um, I've had some success at the doors over the last um, few weeks, and probably we've seen in the polls uh, come up a bit a bit more. 
and that's ultimately where I, where I feel here, at least in Alberta, we're, we're really trying to, to make a, a headway, which we have the seats in Alberta, um, which are, are good, but it's, you know, the seats across the country and you can throw in stuff like the, the Nova Scotia election, I think gives a lot of people some hope across the, the country as well, at least on our conservative side, that we saw the results of that, uh, that particular election. And it's, it's feeling reasonably good. So, um, but Matt, all of those Matt, things put I, Matt I'm just going to jump in. Is it sure. is it really conservative messaging which has been able to tighten these polls, or is it just a bit of uh, Trudeau fatigue and maybe Trudeau hubris of which you guys have actually just picked up on? I was trying to be polite to him, Raphael, uh, but I, I think you, I think you're right. I think there's certainly some of that. Um, you know, the it's it's been six years, and and these are promises that have been made and promises that haven't necessarily been kept. And uh, in, in certain as you look at the, the housing crisis, I think being a key one at that, where there's a number of people who had high hopes in 2015 that there was going to be positive steps made on that. And we certainly, if you go to you know, major cities like Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, there's still a massive uh, a housing uh, crisis facing those cities. So, yeah, there, there's it, that's probably a, a element of it. Um, I would like to think that there's there's also people who are looking for that perhaps alternative and, and new message, perhaps of hope or, or optimism, and that's uh, at least what we're trying to do in our campaign locally. And I think uh, I think our leaders done some of that uh, nationally, which hopefully is also uh, attracting people to it, as opposed to just voting voting against something, voting for something at the end of the day. Okay, so many, many of you have basically said that housing is a key issue. You, you said, uh, you yourself, Matt, uh, uh, also uh, said that as well. So, Amina, could you give us some sense of what the housing crisis actually is in Canada as the reasons why so many Canadians think that it's one of the top and key election issues? Uh, sure. So, um, in many of the same ways that we see the housing crisis unfold, you know, on the other side of the border um, in, in America, uh, we, we share a lot of the same, uh, same issues. But across Canada, we are specifically facing a housing crisis uh, due uh, to decades of um, lack of federal government investments in housing, um, especially rental housing, as well as municipal exclusionary urban planning and land use regulations, um, empty homes and speculation as well as the financialization of rental housing, which has essentially transformed Canada's multifamily, multifamily uh, purpose-built rental sector. So we see, again, and this is a, a global phenomenon, but definitely impacting Canada as well, which is the rise of um, financial landlords and real estate investment trusts, um, or REITs, uh, across Canadian cities, uh, essentially since 1996, uh, have changed the dynamics of the rental of rental apartments being homes in Canada and turning them, uh, you know, into into commodities um, and into becoming for-profit investments, essentially driving rents even higher and resulting in mass displacements and rent evictions. Um, so by systemically driving up rents, uh, prices, the business strategies of these financial landlords essentially affect uh, affordability through through unit turns, it's, is what it's called. So in Canada, for every one affordable unit created by government funding, approximately 15 uh, can and do become unaffordable due to, due to the financialization of rental housing. Um, and so it's definitely a huge issue. It's a huge uh, crushing supply side and land use issue due to red tapes. 
um, and uh, it's also a speculative market uh, issue. And so it's definitely going to be something that each party has to contend with. Um, And so any question that I would have uh, is how uh, the parties are really looking at ensuring that we do present, uh, preserve affordability and perpetuity when it comes to our rental housing stock, uh, but also how do we ensure that we remove some of that red tape um, in our housing, uh, our housing um, system as it currently exists uh, in relation to supply side uh, considerations. Alex, um, you kind of help organisations actually get access to government funds, government loans, government grants, etc. Give us a sense of some of this red tape, which can actually help alleviate uh, the housing crisis. So one of the things I'll give I'll give uh, Trudeau some credit for he he did a he created a program through the CMHC, which is a crown corporation, the Canadian Mortgage Housing Corporation, to allow for a 75% of the cost of affordable housing and even 85% in some cases to be funded through a, uh, a construction loan. So the, the bridge is still that, you know, last 15, 20% or so. Um, so that was one thing that, that he did to, to help things. The problem is I think a lot of it has to do with the culture in at, in government, it really needs to change. We, we need to find a way to give our senior bureaucrats the opportunity to take risks, to make change, to, to not have to feel like they're going to get pounded on when they, when they do something new and novel and innovative. There also needs to be more uh, funding envelopes if we're going to have it go through government. If we're not going to have it go through government or we're going to offer other funding envelopes, then we really need to incentivize our banking system to open up their pocketbooks and we need to have systems and processes to, to make that happen. I want to move on to uh, disability. The Ministry of Employment, Workforce and Development and Disability Inclusion, Carla Coltrow, uh, introduced legislation in the last parliament for a new disability benefits. Sarah Jama, you, you've just joined our stage. Why is that legislation important? Is it uh, enough? And, um, and why do you think this is so resonated with the Canadian people that they say that disability rights and access is one of the key election issues? Hi, everyone. Um, sorry I'm late. I'm from Hamilton. Hamilton has the largest number of disabled people in the province of Ontario. And so that's kind of where I orient myself. And I'm with the Disability Justice Network of Ontario. I'm not doing the greatest, so I'm just going to preface this with that. But the issue with uh, Minister Paltrow's disability benefit is that the government has been well aware that in every single province, in every single province across this country, uh, social assistance has been below the poverty line. So that means if you're not able to work because of your disability and you're forced into taking social assistance, you're below the poverty line. And there are also other issues as well that force people into poverty, such as wheelchair. Like we people say we have universal health care, but assistive devices are not fully covered by the government, meaning depending on how much you make, you have to pay thousands of dollars for your equipment, whether it's an oxygen tank, hearing aids or assistive devices. Home care is not properly accessible um, or properly funded, um, and neither is palliative care. And so to, to promise a feasibility study around this disability benefit, um, to do strange consultations with a handful of community members, myself included, 
um, to offer lift service without any actual promise in terms of amounts um, right before an election goes to show that they understand how they have ignored disabled people and are now scrambling to get disabled people to vote in this election. I think we saw evidence of this with the CERB, right? The emergency response benefit that people received while everyone else was able to get $2,000 a month because of the pandemic. Disabled people got a one-time payment of $600 while living in poverty, while not able to work. And so this promise of a benefit when we've seen over and over again an inability to actually try to lift people who are disabled out of poverty over time. Yeah, it's just not, it's not rooted in reality and it's something that they're doing to try to just get votes, in my opinion. I'd like to ask everybody for, for a hot take and I'm just going to go through uh, one leader and you, you let me know how you think he or she is doing. So uh, let's start with you, Sarah. Justin Trudeau, um, he went into the polls uh, thinking that this was somewhat of a slam dunk. Uh, vaccination rates are very high in Canada, some of the highest in the world after a terrible start. The economy seems to have rebounded uh, be- before the Delta crisis anyway. So he thought he would get his majority. Um, how do you think he's done so far on the campaign trail? I don't think Justin Trudeau is serious if he actually cared about people in this country he wouldn't be taking indigenous kids to court um he would have done all he could to take care of the long-term care home crisis that we're experiencing that led to the death of thousands upon thousands of people across the country he left disabled people out to dry when it came to the vaccine rollout but then also around CERB and emergency supports he overall talks a lot and sounds progressive, but hasn't actually implemented policy that couldn't better people's lives in the ways that he claims to. So he does a lot of like showing up, but he doesn't reflect that in his policy. Alex, uh, give us an assessment on the Conservative leader, Erin O'Toole. Whatever he's doing, even if he's not really talking, he seems to be narrowing those polls. Yeah, I, I think he's getting some help from from some of Trudeau's only cabinet ministers who are, are seemingly making a lot of uh, very predictable errors, unforced errors. There was a uh, a minister yesterday, Miriam Monsef, as a as a background, claimed to be the first Iranian Canadian member of parliament, and she found out maybe maybe due to no fault of her own that she's from Afghanistan. She referred to the Taliban as our brothers, the Taliban, and that's going to, you know, hit Trudeau for a few days. I, I think the reason why Aaron's doing well is less because of Aaron and more due to the gaffes that we're going to continue seeing from the Liberal Party. Um, Alan? I think it's also a, an incredible conservative talking point to mention that, you know, Munsef referred to the Taliban as brothers, considering the cultural elements in relation to that speech. And I definitely do see it as something that the conservatives have been um, running away with, uh, you know, as 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 a, as a talking point. I don't really specifically see it as something that speaks to uh, Aaron Atul necessarily doing well um, in relation to that Nadine. Um, so Jagmeet Singh is the leader of, of, of the NDP. The NDP potentially can take a, a, a lot of seats in this election. How do you think he's doing? What do you think are some of the strengths of the key messaging of the New Democratic Party? It's an interesting question about Jagmeet because we have a country that has shown itself to be 
it's exposed its racist undercore. And he faced this in 2019 as well. And now we have a black woman as a leader of a federal party as well. And so I wonder if the racist attacks will actually be dispersed amongst the two of them. Clearly, Jagmeet has some real strengths, but I think what we're not talking about in this discussion at all is that election campaigns are not popularity contests. They're voter turnout contests. And I think what's very, very likely is we're going to see a suppressed voter turnout in this campaign because people are exhausted. People are cynical. Um, this is an unnecessary election. Um, when we think about Indigenous communities who have seen, you know, in, in the 2015 election, some uptick in voter turnout and would be more likely to vote for progressive governments that care about issues issues around reconciliation, they are destroyed. Like they are very, very, um, you know, when I talk to people I know who are First Nations or Indigenous, they are very depressed. They're having a hard time struggling right now with the weight of the world and are very unlikely to come out and vote for a colonial government. So I think for a lot of reasons, we're seeing that there's no campaigning on uh, universities this time. Um, When we talk about having less voting stations, which um, the Conservative MP said impacts everyone equally. It absolutely does not impact everyone equally. Uh, That systematically tends to disenfranchise people who are renters, people who are low income, again, Indigenous communities, people who have more difficulty getting to the polling stations. So for a lot of reasons, I think we're going to see lower voter turnout as a systemic issue. And what that will likely do is that will likely hurt Jagmeet Singh So it doesn't actually matter to me how well he's doing on the campaign trail. He is set up uh, for a very uh, difficult battle here. Okay, so this is an open question. So anybody feel free to unmute. So if there is a low voter turnout, significantly lower than the last election in 2019, who does that benefit? Who does that disadvantage? Obviously, Nadine has said the NDP, but anybody feel free to unmute and and just jump in. Well, it would definitely, I I believe, benefit um, the Conservative Party and not benefit the NDP. I mean, what we're seeing, and I understand that the parties and and leaders don't have much of a say in this, but, you know, we're even seeing in relation to uh, voting opportunities on university campuses where, you know, as I understand it, um, you know, polls, uh, Election Canada came out and said that uh, potentially they wouldn't be able to have uh, the ability to have um, you know, uh, uh, election opportunities on campuses. We know that uh, students are just returning and because of the pandemic, there is going to be uh, an impact, uh, I believe, um, in relation to the youth vote, um, as well as uh, numerous other populations, for sure. Um, we haven't talked about the block Quebecer, and um, let, let's do that now. But let's um, have um, a little bit um, of uh, of a history lesson. Uh, the Bloc is the French-speaking uh, party which advocates for, dependent on uh, where we are chronologically, separation, independence, or through to at least advocating for kind of strong language rights and the separateness and uh, and the uniqueness of Quebec to be uh, recognised within uh, the country of Canada. Uh, they have... Um, 32 uh, seats in in the present uh, parliament. Um, How do they sit above, alongside the other national parties? And uh, if anybody could explain to us specifically how they could actually be the kingmaker or not of of, uh, in this election. So give us a sense for those of us who aren't Canadian, the political strength um, of the Bloc Quebecois. Yeah, I won't speak to the political strength of the Bloc Quebecois. It's not 
not a party that I specifically but you know, in, uh, in, in, lean into. In a, yeah, in a, in a national uh, perspective, you know, because th- this is um, a part of the political kind of calculus, isn't it? Can the Liberals pick up more seats within Quebec? In, and we talked about in voter enthusiasm before. Um, if there's a, a specifically, let's say, a lower national uh, turnout, will that be also recognised within Quebec? Or is Quebec distinct enough that uh, French-speaking voters in Quebec will still come out and vote for the bloc, regardless of any kind of national turnout? It just, it just gives it a sense, because we haven't really spoken about them. We talked about English-speaking bits of Canada, but not actually the French-speaking bit. And anybody feels, feel free just to chime in and then we can move on. So, I mean, clearly all of the parties are looking to win, uh, you know, seats in Quebec, um, undoubtedly. You know, the Liberals for sure have been courting Quebec in a way uh, that has been a convenient marriage, um, you know, between uh, Trudeau's government and Quebec. And we've seen this in the way in which uh, the Liberals have, uh, you know, essentially sidestepped uh, debates and sort of... uh, you know, look the other way in regards to uh, Bill 21, which is uh, essentially uh, an, ec- an economic and mobility restriction bill that that harms and specifically targets racialized women uh, and people in Quebec, uh, essentially prohibiting uh, public sector workers from wearing um, hijabs and turbans on the job. The audience would be familiar with this because we see the same sort of policy making in relation to France. Um, and we see this. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In Quebec as well under, under, their, under their so-called uh, secularism um, that they tout uh, but don't necessarily um, you know, follow. So um, it's definitely a Canadian-wide issue, Bill 21. Uh, because once you create bills and acts like this in a province, essentially forcing the displacement of a very specific segment of the population, what you intend in turn end up having is, you know, uh, essentially internally displaced Canadians who are forced to leave their home province uh, to seek out work, um, you know, and their charter rights of freedom to religion in other provinces. So this is a Canada-wide problem. Unfortunately, it, it's not being... Uh, 
discussed uh, amongst the the parties because uh, you know each party is essentially vying for seats uh, in Quebec. Um, you know the the party that would have the most to say on it would and ought to be the NDP party under Jagmeet Singh, as he is, you know, um, uh, an, uh, an individual who does, uh, you know, wear, um, wear, wear uh, his religious uh, turban. And I do believe he's, he's made comments in relation to this, but the Trudeau government, um, you know, has not. Uh, we also see the expansion of Bill C-7, which is the medically assisted, uh, you know, death bill, which essentially expanded and removed any sort of uh, safety safety protocols around that. Uh, and we didn't, we saw, we saw sort of a coalition of um, uh, these different uh, parties coming together around that uh, in a way, essentially to court, uh, you know, and politicize the lives of incredibly marginalized people in Quebec. So that's how Quebec tends to play into the politics of, uh, or at least I see Quebec playing into the politics uh, of this race. Thank you. Alex. So I think what we're going to see is, what happens with the Quebec premier? What what does Legault do? If Legault uh, has been, who has been playing very chummy with Trudeau f- during the pandemic, if he continues that, then it's going to give a lot fewer opportunities for the bloc to speak up and to get noticed. And as a result, I think it's really going to benefit the liberals. If on the other hand, the, the, Francois Legault ends up saying, you know, hey, what about Quebec rights and starts making issues that Trudeau is going to have to address, then those could be some wedge issues that could allow the bloc to keep many of its 30 some seats. I think it's going to we're going to see a softening as a result of that, because I think it's got to be some very tricky calculus for the Quebec premier to to uh, criticize the Prime Minister, given their relationship over the past year and a half. One of the key issues in this election is affordability. Monique Gordon was laid off from her job as a security guard during the pandemic, a job she'd had for 17 years. Two key issues for her in this election, housing, specifically for renters like her, and affordable, accessible childcare. For me, daycare will be a number one stuff, a number one thing. Because if you don't have some place to send a kid, so that you can go to work, you can't go to work. And then there's nobody to give you money to pay your rent. She's undecided but leaning towards one party. I was a Jagmeet. He challenges Justin Trudeau. According to the latest Ipsos polling, the Conservatives have emerged as the number one choice among respondents when it comes to the economy ahead of the Liberals. The NDP take the top spot on matters of affordability and the cost of living with the Liberals in the number two spot. Between unprecedented government spending, a jaw-dropping federal deficit estimated at more than $354 billion this fiscal year, and inflation at levels we haven't seen in more than a decade, political observers say that on money matters, liberals are in the hot seat. They've got a record. They've got six years that they have to account for. So it makes them uh, particularly vulnerable. Millennials and Gen Z now make up the biggest cohort of eligible voters. The pandemic has disproportionately hammered young workers. Matt, I'm going to come to you. Um, The New Democratic Party are pushing for a new wealth tax. I'm guessing that you conservatives think that's somewhat of an anathema and uh, more uh, more likely to be there to cut tax. Canada has a large welfare state. Give us your position on redistribution of wealth, cutting taxes or even raising them. 
Thanks, Ophelia. Um, your assessment would be uh, rather accurate and, and historically uh, correct, also uh, from my uh, my perspective. Uh, yeah, the you know we get to, we had a lot of questions. I'll, you know, I'll even toss in um, uh, something um, that's uh, been debated a lot uh, as well. Um, the uh, UBI, uh, which is the I believe the in in both of the platforms. I'm not sure if it's in the Liberal. I know it's certainly in the NDP uh, platform. You know, the when when it comes to to where we're going to be at post COVID, like we're we're pushing a, a trillion dollars in, in debt that we're we're facing as a country. There certainly that's that's on the minds of many Canadians and and many many families who uh, who are going to bear the brunt of this uh, uh, debt for a very long time uh, going forward. Um, so, so things like you know UBI, uh, I've I've come out and I've I've said to my community, I'm not necessarily opposed to to, to UBI, universal basic income, in the way that it's it's uh, presented at a municipal level. But if you start looking at the the federal level, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to me to be a policy that's being being pushed. Um, so, taking that and 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 also in context with the the, the wealth tax, uh, among other things, that you know we 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 need to, to reconcile how much money we're actually going to be in, in debt after, after the CERB uh, like that Sarah raises after, after a few other of uh, the, uh, the spending envelopes that we've seen. And some, something has to, 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 to give. We can't continue to spend like this. So ultimately, a lot of our platform covers a lot of those, uh, how we get back to, um, to balance. Uh, we're giving, we're saying in 10 years, uh, We'll be able to get uh, the the budget back to balance. Um, ultimately, I, I believe we're the we're the right party who's going to do that. We've done it in the past, and, and likely. But will, Matt, uh, what what are you going to have forward. to cut? What would the Conservatives have to cut uh, to be able to balance yeah. that get, budget? Or, yeah, or, or, that. Or, or are you hoping, crossing your fingers, that the Canadian economy will rise sufficiently? I think the latter is, is very. Um, uh, a strong uh, reality, particularly out here in, in my province in Alberta and Western Canada. I think we're going to see, uh, under a Conservative government, I think we're going to see a, a real confidence uh, boost in, uh, in, say, the, the energy sector, the, the renewable sector out here. It's it's prime prime for that. So I, I think that's that's important. You know, we, we always get asked what, what we're going to to cut, you know, ultimately, I, I, I don't want to cut uh, things. It's, you know, I've in, in a lot of ways, you know, I'm, I'm raising my family in this, uh, this country also. So going down the, the path of saying we're, we're going to leave the, the country destitute because we, we want to cut a whole bunch of things, I think is, is factually in, inaccurate in, uh, in a lot of ways. There's a, a, a ton of things on our, our platform that uh, we're, we're increasing EI benefits in a, in a number of, you know, maternity, paternity leave. We're, we're uh, the housing crisis. I, I think we have the best plan for, for that. I think the support for families, you know, with the tax uh, deductions. I, I think there's lots of things that, that don't necessarily point to, to cuts, but point to, to more of that that's necessary innovation and, and job creation that will just ripple across the country. And, and my hope uh, rather quickly uh, as we come out of uh, COVID. Right. And I, um, it, that's a perfect time for me just to do a very quick reset. Uh, for people who are in the audience, we thank you for joining us. We know this has been somewhat of a momentous news day. Uh, so there are many other uh, potential distractions on your time. So really thank you for being 
with us today uh, at Mid-Atlantic. Um, if you like uh, the compare and contrast nature of what we do here, which is to look at UK politics, Canadian politics and, U- and US politics, um, hit the little green icon, become a member of the Mid-Atlantic uh, Club. And why don't you follow any of the um, excellent people on stage. Uh, Matt, I know that you have to go uh, relatively soon. So I'm going to fire you another question before then then moving on. And I want to look at Indigenous rights um, afterwards. Uh, but how has the pandemic affected canvassing? You're out there uh, ple- pressing the flesh, uh, you know, with a good uh, constituents out there in your riding. Um, so how exactly has the pandemic uh, affected that, especially in kind of high density buildings and apartment complexes? How have you managed to uh, to get out and, and meet your voters? Yeah, great question. <laughs> it's, this is my fifth election and certainly uh, is a, a different one in, in a lot of ways. Um, the, the the big rallies that, you know, you try to pack the, the hall, make the Photos look great. Those those days are well, they're gone for for now at least. Uh, in terms of ensuring safe social distancing, you know, hand sanitizer all over the office, and masks in the office, a lot of those um, uh, necessities in in place. Uh, well, we're out of the doors. It's uh, you know, I've, I've I've always prided myself that anytime I have a conversation, positive or negative, reach out and, and shake someone's hand and, and thank them for their time for 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 being able to to chat with you. There's a lot less of of that. I'm not doing that. There's a lot less people reaching out to to shake um, shake hands. Often talking through the through the screen doors, um, and a lot less doors being opened too. I think ultimately that's uh, just the nervousness that. Um, comes with uh with here where we are in alberta rising covid rates and and uh, the delta variant i think there's a lot of a lot of people just uneasy about uh this election and then there's the 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 actual voting piece you know a lot of our our elementary schools which are typically polling stations have said not a chance this time around do we want to have a a polling station through here so there the polling stations will be fewer uh according to our local returning officer and the, those polling stations will have shifted to larger centers than uh, than your local school that you're you're for the last seventy years you've been able to walk down the street and, and vote at. So it's a lot of things have, have changed this particular this time around that are, are make it particularly challenging for from a campaign perspective. But you know it's like it's like the analogy in in baseball a rain delay affects everybody not just um, one team over the other. So you know I think ultimately we're all in the same boat, but just trying to find our, our way through it. Alex, um, there was a disability rights uh, act uh, proposed during the last uh, legislation, uh, during the last uh, parliament, very sorry. Um, How would you like to see that bill maybe expanded upon? Is this the time, basically, for uh, disabled and other able-bodied Canadians, basically, to pressure the Liberal Party and maybe the NDP to get some real concessions? Okay, um... Are you talking about the Accessible Canada Act? Absolutely. Canada Disability. Well, well, let, let's deal w- w- with with both because this this is a time when, and I think you said that, or, or maybe it was Sarah that this uh, bill was proposed just before going into the election. So maybe this is a time where uh, maximum things can be extracted from uh, the future government, whether it's Liberal or, or some kind of coalition or minority government. Yeah, for sure. Um, in terms of the Accessible Canada Act, based on what I've seen, uh, a lot of it won't be implemented till 2040. So, you know, almost 20 years from now. 
uh, it'll only apply to um, a fairly narrow scope of uh, institutions. Um, so I don't have a lot of faith in that bill uh, being the answer for a lot of the issues that uh, dis disabled folks have. Um, and in terms of the Canada Disability Benefit, um, it's just, you know, they've just had the first reading, so it's just a, a very bare framework. Um, we don't know what the regulations will look like because they haven't been developed yet. But um, I think the concern there is that they'll just give, you know, a, a certain amount of money to everybody. And um, if you've met one disabled person, you've met one disabled person. We're all unique. We all have um, different things we need. Uh, you know, some of us need a new $20,000 wheelchair every few years. Uh, so if you're just giving, you know, everyone a set amount of money, uh, it's not going to, it's not going to help, um, help, uh, people that, um, you know, have, have unique needs. So, uh, there's that concern with that bill. If you look, if you can contrast it with something like Leah Gazan's motion 46, uh, and full disclosure, I'm working on her campaign. Um, but if you look at her motion, uh, it, it doesn't replace any other benefits the person might be receiving. So if they receive uh, a provincial benefit to get uh, assistance to purchase a wheelchair, for example, uh, motion 46 would not replace that. Uh, they would receive any additional benefit on top of the benefits they already have. So I think the concern with the Canada Disability Benefit is that, um, you know, they'll just re receive a set amount of money. And, uh, you know, they'll still have struggle with housing. Uh, it's impossible to find accessible housing in this country. Um, they'll still have trouble affording their um, assistive devices, as Sarah mentioned. And, um, yeah, it'll still leave just a, a brutal patchwork of, of different uh, supports that uh, people are going to try to have to scramble to uh, cobble together to meet their needs. Let's move on to one of the other kind of key issues, which is wireless and broadband. And uh, I think most Canadians will agree that uh, the, the rates for, for broadband and wireless are somewhat absurd. It's some of the highest in the Western world. There was the Bill C-10. It was probably going to die since the election is being called. But the the regulator, the Canadian Radio, Television and Telecommunications Commission is seen as being somewhat kind of toothless, powerless. There are many bits of Canada which practically have no broadband. Um, who, who could basically, who would like to speak to this issue? Feel free to unmute yourself. Obviously, it's something which um, goes to the heart of accessibility with maybe some rural communities not being able to fully um, be part of the digital community. And, and, and also, um, it also uh, kind of uh, caps uh, poorer Canadians in terms of their kind of access. And it's specifically when we've had a pandemic, which means that children have had to learn from home. So uh, maybe, Alex, this is something which you could talk to in terms of its effect on business. If anybody else would like to chime in about the Liberals' uh, promise to, to slash rates on broadband and the fact that wasn't actually delivered during the last parliament. So I'd actually like to pat, uh, point over to something that um, I, I'm, I have no party affiliation anymore, but the NDP came up with something very interesting in their policy convention, where one of the things they wanted to talk about was a national um, regulated, run by the government uh, telecommunications company. 
And I think that's actually a, a, an interesting approach to creating a lower, uh, lower rates is, you know, have the government come in. Hopefully they're going to be able to come in at a lower rate and then push all the other companies down in terms of uh, lower rates. Um, I, I, I think we're seeing a lot of struggling that rural communities have in terms of accessing the internet. Forget about the cost. There's just a lot of Northern communities, a lot of rural communities that are just completely being left out. A lot of my clients, my first nations clients, the normal um, thing is, is in the middle of a call, I lose connection if we're on a Zoom or it's got to go to audio only. So there's a significant disadvantage to a lot of rural and indigenous businesses as a result of that. And I'd like to see more solutions coming out of, uh, out of Ottawa than what, have already, than what we've already seen. Uh, last question. I'm going to go through everybody one by one. And then uh, what we're going to do is we're going to round up the podcast and then we're going to keep this room open and uh, and then we'll accept uh, questions, comments uh, from from the audience. So um, here we go. I'm going to start with you, uh, Sarah. And um, what's going to be the election of this? Uh, what's going to be the result? Sorry, of this election come September 21st. What's your opinion? I'm not really sure. I, I have no opinion on ter- in terms of like how I think it will go. I, I haven't really looked at the polls, but I do hope that the NDP comes out strong. I think for a lot of our futures in terms of policy and what we need to see implemented. I mean, I didn't really agree with the conservative speaker who was framing things around cuts, right? He's the very same representative who is okay with privatizing long-term care after many people have died. And so I think what we heard today is that there are some parties, particularly the Conservative Party, that would prefer that we balance books and not, you know, put put first people's lives, right, and the value of people's lives. And so I can't say what I would expect, but I do hope the NDP comes out strong. The NDP coming out strong. Nadine, September 21st, what's going to be the, the outcome? Will we have another hung parliament with a minority government do you think that maybe the liberals can form a majority will we have a strong showing from the ndp or will uh low voter turnout voter apathy mean that uh support for that leftist party will erode what do you reckon well when the election was called i very much believe that trudeau was going to get another majority um because again this is essentially the natural governing party of canada and they believe that to be the case So I don't think they would have called the election if they didn't have strong evidence that they would get a majority government. And I also think that the status quo is very good at at maintaining itself. You know, when you look at, for example, discussion like, you know, the housing policy was the best housing policy. The question is for whom? Who is the housing policy? Who is any of the policies for? And there's a really strong status quo bent in in a lot of the platforms. And so I think the folks who are going to come out and vote are people who are more likely to support you know, the Liberals are wanting to have their taxes cut. Um, and I think a lot of folks are going to stay home for this one. So I do think I would still probably favour a Liberal majority government as the outcome, unfortunately. Amina, are we looking at a Liberal, uh, a small Liberal majority government come September the 21st when the dust is settled on the election? Yeah, I'm not sure. And I don't think so. I'm also leaning towards hoping for all of our sakes that what we do end up seeing is, uh, you know, the NDP's 
coming out and having this one, to be honest. Uh, Sarah's made some great points, uh, and many others have, as well as Nadine, in relation to um, the health crisis that we have. And a lot of the talk from, you know, the conservatives and the PPCs about privatization. And I think that has shown us to that that is an absolute failure. I mean, we've seen with COVID-19 uh, where uh, reports have found significantly worse outcomes in, in essentially for-profit and non-profit uh, for-profit long-term care homes than in publicly run uh, homes where most of the outbreaks um, that we saw existed. And NDP leader Jagmeet Singh has uh, essentially pledged, and I think is one of the only ones to pledge, uh, to ban the opening of any new for-profit long-term care homes. Um, and I know that some critics have argued that that might not go enough, you know, go go far enough, but it probably goes further than any of the other parties have proposed. Um, and it does not speak to the 54% already existing privately owned long-term care homes that we would need uh, to start discussing immediately and looking at bringing long-term care homes uh, into the public hands under the same principles of the Canada Health Act. Um, but yeah, I definitely am, am hoping to see uh, more of a, of, of a forward momentum um, you know, from the NDP uh, and do not believe that the Liberals will be getting, um, you know, the the majority that they seek uh alex let's run let's run down the political uh parties um who who's going to have the largest party who's going to be the second um and what approximately um would that will the seat tally be for the liberals the conservatives the ndp uh the bloc uh and uh the green party Right. So currently we have 155 Liberals, 119 Conservatives, 32 Bloc, 24 NDP, 2 Green, and a few Independent. Almost certainly that we're going to see a growing of new Democratic seats. We're going to see a decrease in Bloc Québécois seats. We're going to see a status quo of Green seats, and we're going to see a slight increase of Conservative. And this is going to come um, at, at the at the expense probably of the Liberals, I think the math is almost inconceivable that the Liberals will end up with a majority this time around. Uh, thank you for that. Right, and if anybody else would just like to have one final last word, one takeaway, maybe one thing we should look at, one thing we should notice in this election feel free to, to unmute yourself and uh, then we'll, we'll wrap up the recording of the podcast. What is the, the key thing which um, you think will be significant in maybe determining the result of this election? I would love to hear from Nadine Nakagawa, City Councillor Nadine, in relation to childcare, which seems to be a you know major campaign issue <laughs> that all of the parties are sort of are sort of touting the conservative platform is is only essentially offering a child care tax credit, which we know um, will ultimately favor wealthier participants, whereas, you know, the liberals have used child care, you know, essentially as a campaign strategy and haven't done very much, you know, during the, their actual government proposing to spend 30 billion over five years in an effort to bring, you know, the federal government to a 50-50 cost sharing. Uh, for childcare with the provinces and territories, whereas the NDP have also proposed a universal $10 a day childcare system across the country. What we do see is an actual shortage of infrastructure investment in actual childcare spaces. And since Nadine uh, has done extensive work in this area, you know, I'd really love to hear uh, about uh, childcare as a, as a primary issue um, in relation to childcare spaces um, uh, on this campaign. 
Thanks. I mean, I think you actually summed it up really beautifully there. And I think to like to phrase this issue in an overall lens, it's whether or not we believe that the government should be providing social services, similar to what you said about long-term care. Should that be provided by government itself? Or should we sort of give out tax breaks to people who uh, can then write it off against taxes? Because again, who are we centering in that decision-making? And I think that's very true of childcare as well. Is like, Do we believe in giving people money off of their taxes or sort of uh, small bits of money? Or do we believe in this in being part of our social safety net? And I think the overall lesson that I, I am wanting to sort of see in this in this campaign is what have we learned during this pandemic about collective action and about taking care of vulnerable members of our community? Because it's quite terrifying that we have collectively gone through this experience, recognizing that, you know, seeing that, you know, I was very scared for my grandmother living in a care center. I didn't think I'd ever see her again. Uh, this is a woman who's 98 years old and lived through Japanese internment. Um, and she said the experience was similar to being interned. What have we learned from, from this experience overall? Have we learned that we should just sort of buy our way out of it and people should be able to, you know, um, pay for, you know, to be able to isolate or pay for um, air conditioners during the heat waves that we've been experiencing during to, due to climate crisis? Or do we actually believe that we need to pull together and have the government as a key part of that? I think that's the biggest reflection that I look forward to sort of seeing how that narrative unfolds in this election. Thank you uh, for nailing uh, one of the most important key election issues that Canada is facing, um, how it looks after the most vulnerable its children. So thank you, Alex Bishop, Nadine Nakagawa, uh, Amina Yasmin, Sarah Jama, and we had Alan uh, Mankiewicz, and we also had Matt Genero, MP, uh, who joined us. Hopefully, uh, what we've been able to do is give you um, a little bit of an insight, whether you're Canadian or not, because uh, three quarters of the listeners of this podcast are not actually Canadian. Just giving you a little bit of an insight into some of the key issues that Canadians are facing as they go to the polls next month in September. And maybe some of those issues um, are, are resonant with you in your country, whether you're in the UK or in the US. So don't forget, folks, if you want to basically join uh, one of these shows, quite simply join on to Clubhouse, the Clubhouse app, and then you can be part of the audience. After we stop recording, basically we do keep the rooms open and debate and conversation does flow from there. So um, if you would like to be part of the conversation, please join Clubhouse, find Mid-Atlantic, hit the little green icon, become a member, and you'll be alerted when these shows are actually recorded. Generally, they're on a Thursday. Not always, but generally. So please, we'd, we'd love to see you. Um, podcast, go to a podcast of your choice. Uh, we've been doing this show for seven years, all about uh, kind of cross-Atlantic kind of politics. So if you go to midatlanticshow.com, there is a vast treasure trove of back issues there. Um, you'll also find a way of contacting me if you'd like to refute maybe something which somebody said uh, or maybe even suggest a future topic for us to look at. So that's midatlanticshow.com. Hit the contact us and you can find me on there. Um, thank you uh, to everybody on stage. Thank you to those in the audience because there's a lot of pulls on people's time today of all days with what's actually happened in, in Afghanistan and that whole unfolding crisis and tragedy. So we thank you for stopping by and uh, listening to informed, passionate Canadians talk about issues uh, which are going to inform the Canadian election. Don't forget, folks, left of centre politics is right thinking politics. This has been me, Royful Brown and Mid-Atlantic. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.